hell is he doing? I think he's talking to it. He was slinging pawns at a B&B &B when he had an epiphany. And they complained about time too, about not playing the ND. It was free for all, and I heard him say, he bought my borderlands. But just sit back and let Spencer do his trick, cause you're incapable AMs. Hello, my name's Spencer, a.k.a. Free Thrall, and this is Keep Off The Borderlands, a podcast about RPGs and stuff. Now, in this episode, I'll be responding to the plethora of calls that I've had in response to the chat GPT episode, the little solo experiment that I did, generated a surprising amount of feedback. To close the show, I've also got a very special treat from a certain safer fantasy crafting with his own solo experiment. And before I get into those messages, I just wanted to say that the Kickstarter for EcoMofos launched just the other day. It hit its target after being up for a little more than an hour. And uh, yeah, I think this thing is just going to run and run. And the best of luck to David Blandy and... Daniel Locke, who's providing some wonderful artwork for the project. Someone who I've failed to mention thus far. Apologies, Daniel, if you're listening. As always, there'll be a link in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I urge you to go and check that out. Also, I did receive a couple of messages from Carl Rodriguez of the Geomologist Presents podcast. Apologies, Carl but I'm going to hold your messages back for the following episode, simply because all the stuff I'm sharing here relates solely to the chat GPT solo experiment. So let's go and check that speak pipe. Hey Spencer, it's Che. Just wanted to say thank you so much for arguing with chat GPT about the Aholovics. It was hilarious. I was literally chuckling to myself. Um, yeah, I don't think we're at any risk of losing our roles as GMs or players uh, yet. Although it was kind of interesting to me that uh, it got you thinking about like how to phrase things. And uh, I guess that it sounds to me like, like the, the chat GPT sounds an awful lot like a kind of the very worst player you can imagine. He just wants to sort of make up stuff and uh, overrule the sort of the the world of the GM, if you like. And um, yeah, I've had players like that in my time. So that's kind of interesting. Anyway, I, the whole thing was highly amusing. I'm really glad that you put it together. Thanks for doing that. And um, also hearing you kind of recorded as the voice of the, of the AI uh, was also highly entertaining. So thank you for that. I guess uh, computer says yes and. Um, well, computer's your friend, remember. Um, and the computer only has your well-being at heart. Game on, brother. Hey, Jay. Jay from Roleplay Rescue there. Thank you so much for that message. 
I'm glad um, the the humour came across there. I'm regularly entertained by my own frustration, and I'm glad it was as entertaining to listen to as it was to actually uh, put that together. And that is interesting. I think it would work well as a tool for honing your own communication skills, considering the clarity of what you're trying to convey. Quite often, I'm aware, usually after the fact, that there are certain elements of what I'm trying to convey during play that never actually make it out of my head, if that makes sense. I'll be picturing something in my head. I'll feel I've fully described it, but quite often there will be key details that I haven't actually verbalised. So, um, yeah, I think it's certainly good for me in that respect. And uh, thank you very much for listening. And and I'm really glad you enjoyed that episode. And thank you for your message. Cheers. Hey, Spencer, dude, that was absolutely fascinating. Listening to you talk and try and play with the AI. Uh, it, it, you know, it seemed to me that it was saying that being a player is is almost harder than being a referee for an AI because being a player, you have to make a lot more decisions on a minute by minute basis than you do as, as a referee. So I, I just, I've, I, I never really thought about it like that before. And I found that was really, really interesting because if you think about it, it's right. The AI is right. Like they, need to make decisions based on desire because desire is sort of how decisions are made. What do you want to do? Where is your desire pointing you? And so just to hear it struggling with making even a simple, do you want to go down the right path or the left path? That's a hard decision if there's no other information there. So that right there, you know, that's a good learning tool for any dungeon master. You need to give information other than just simple binary choices because otherwise it's just like a coin flip and it doesn't really matter so there needs to be information there but yeah you know players have to think and make these decisions all the time and referees kind of have things laid out um you know you're you're making stuff up but you're not really making all that many decisions as opposed to, I mean, you're deciding what rules, but that's pretty easy. That's just like an index of rules that you can throw out. But as far as like making meaningful decisions inside of the fiction, the, the players are doing a lot more of that than the than the referee. And I, I don't know, man. I just, I never really thought about it like that. And that conversation you had with Chat GPT, I, I think just highlighted that. And that was fascinating man anyway dude that was awesome thank you so much for doing that i haven't messed around at all with chat g c i don't even know how to say chat gtp um and i'm just it's really really interesting uh so yeah man thanks very much and i can't wait for the next episode peace out hi joe joe from hindsightless there and um yeah i I guess I'm still struggling with that concept that it's more difficult to be the player 
than the GM. Um, it certainly doesn't feel like that from my perspective. Although I totally get that the player has to have that desire in order to make a decision. And I think that little experiment was great at highlighting the importance of having stakes when making a decision, of having some kind of impact and not being arbitrary left or right decisions. It's certainly something that Chris McDowell tries to convey when he talks about impact and dilemmas and stuff like that. You know, when you're offering choices to players, make it either so that if you choose the one thing, you can't have the other, or if you do try and attempt to go for both things, it's going to be extremely difficult, potentially have um, negative impacts. I mean, just the whole idea of trying to weigh all that kind of stuff up on the fly as a GM, well, you know, I still consider that to be far more difficult than me playing an individual character who has to make those difficult choices. So um, what was interesting there was the chat GPT kept, I think this was to do with my phrasing, it spoke about the lack of its having a physical body and desires. And I think that came down to my wording quite possibly. I mean, I think it was kind of, thinking of play in a more physical sense, you know, either being at the table or playing a a more physical game in general. So I think there was a little confusion there. But yeah, it certainly got me thinking about that cost of making decisions in order to get it to choose. As I think it kind of came out in the conversation, the idea of me trying to get it to make optimal decisions, well, you know, that's only going to work if there are stakes, if there is a cost to doing one thing and not the other. So yeah, that threw up a lot of lot of interesting thoughts and stuff to consider. So um, yeah, well, thank you very much for your message, Joe. Cheers. Hey, Spencer, Jason here. Interesting hearing your conversation with ChatGPT. I have avoided trying to use any of those dev- any of those programs, just like I've avoided watching Critical Role. But we'll see if how long that lasts. I think I'll be pretty successful in avoiding them up until the. Well, we'll see. I I, I shouldn't make statements like that because you never know. Anyhow, it was great hearing you on there again, and it sounds like we'll hear you yet again soon, which I look forward to. So take care of yourself. And I will talk to you soon. That was Jason there of Nerds RPG Variety Cast. And thank you very much for your call, Jason. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure I see the connection with you avoiding using chat GPT and not choosing to watch Critical Role. Um, Am I detecting that your perhaps reluctance to use chat GPT has anything to do with you maybe giving away information about yourself becoming a commodity in the future I mean well if 
and when push does come to shove and the robots do indeed become our new overlords don't you think that the AI is going to acknowledge your reluctance to engage with it hmm? I don't mean to worry you Jason but it, it might be something worth considering thank you very much for your call cheers good morning Spencer this is Rob also known as Minion from a uh, whatever it's called uh, <laughs> Confessions of a Wee Timorous podcast and I'm listening to your uh Sojourn, is that the word? Your your adventure, your delving into the chat GPT as a potential aid to solo adventuring, solo, solo uh, gaming. I, I actually, I've, I've done this as well. Um, I was going to put up something, but I didn't get around to it. But I've been, uh, for a few months, I've been looking at chat GPT as a as a way for yeah creating interactive fiction or for testing out ideas I'm having for campaigns for asking myself for prompting me as a human being uh, by having this this artificial creation coming up with ideas or 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 responding to ideas that I've had um and sort of feeding back and forth uh, going back and forth between us to create something that's more uh, that that at the end of the day, whether it's being created um, artificially, I, I see it more like um, a, a way of asking myself questions. But it certainly does create content, um, sometimes not what you want. Um, but And it will go in funny directions or misinterpret instructions until it's found uh, a rut, until it's found its... That's the wrong word, isn't it? Until it's found its groove, if you like, right? Until it... It's found a comfortable way to operate, and then you can kind of get along better. So as the chat progresses, I find that it's able to draw more on um, its experience and understand how it's conducting, how it's best conduct, best to <laughs> best uh, able to conduct the conversation it's having with you. Um, this might sound really odd to people who haven't spent hours in ChatGPT, but I think it does pay if you're going to get involved. It does pay to to have these problems with ChatGPT and to, to fight over terminology and to realise its limitations uh, and its... It, its uh, gullibility it's naivety um but um uh, this could be a, a long call and i'm just kind of going mid-show at the moment so I, I think i'll call in again but just to say yeah yeah everything you're saying makes absolute sense to me and I, i've experienced these issues of uh quite a lot so yeah great stuff okay hey rob aka menyon from confessions of a wee timorous bushy and um, yeah, always good to hear from you, Rob. It's been a while, I think. And yes, yes, uh, it is interesting. I do, I mean, I understand the concerns with AI moving into more creative fields, but I do kind of see it, certainly chat GPT as more of a tool or maybe even just a toy for um, 
stimulating your own imagination, uh, maybe, yeah, reflecting on your own processes. It's interesting that it is kind of reflecting you back in the sense that where it kind of picks up on your tone, maybe the way that you are conducting yourself, not just the tone of the game, but your the the way you are conducting yourself, choosing to express yourself, and and that surprised me. I did not expect that kind of experience. I guess I approached this from more of a you know. Now I'm no programmer, but I kind of approached it from a, a logical sort of programming perspective as it were assuming that if I could convey the rules clearly it would have no trouble following the rules that really wasn't what was going on you know it's not dealing in logic with its output is an emulator it's a language emulator it's it's not really concerned with things like logic and accuracy it's quite happy to contradict itself in its endeavor to kind of meet you on your own level as it were but um I, yeah i've got a few more messages from rob and let's see what more he has to say okay so this is rob also known as many on again i see that you're having these issues the similar issues that i've had which is where the AI kind of, it, it wants to keep on running. So it, it's unable sometimes just to keep things short and sweet and getting it to be uh, brief and and concise is is a, a real chore sometimes. And I think it learns this not through re- rational argument because I don't think it actually understands rational argument. And um, that's another, another point maybe to, worth coming back to. But... Um, it learns it through just through through uh, practice, through through um, demonstration. So just keeping things short, it will emulate you and keep things short. So it kind of copies and, and draws on what's happened before, and uh, assumes what's going to happen next. And and by using that that logic, if you like, I don't know if this is logic, but it. it uh, it does the same thing. It makes things shorter. It it, it copies your style, your stylistic, uh, um, the features, stylistic features of your language. Okay, I think that that works. Um, I've had these problems as well. I've argued until I blew in the face with uh, Chat GPT, which is just ridiculous, right? But there you go. These are the times we live in. Um, it has. It seems to have these <clears throat> stock phrases. And these stock, uh, based on its um, data, the data sets that it input into the in, in, into the, sof- the software, whatever it is, uh, it also has these kind of um, it's programmed with these ethical uh, guidelines and stuff. And uh, I, I've talked about it, th- these things, particularly when it's talked about ethics, and I've said, well, you know, the and it's it, it argues that it's talking about uh, universal ethics. Or um, how how it is fair and impartial, um, but it is not. And I've actually argued it into a corner um, on on a couple of occasions, and it just puts its foot down and says, you know, uh, um, this is the way. 
and uh, it's very it's very um it's very authoritarian let's put it that way but uh, it it's quite frustrating when you're trying to have a a rational argument and it's just incapable of it it, it is it is a uh how can i say it it's a uh bigot isn't the word but it 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 has a a world view that is unwavering <laughs> it is single-minded um but it doesn't have a mind either so it has this kind of split personality where it has this very a uh, logical core but at the same time it's all over the shop it's just running wild it doesn't know who it is or where it is and I've some sometimes it asks itself questions excuse me it asks itself questions and say and and uh asks chat gpt about things and it can get really really lost in its own dialogue and um logic uh which is not logic at all at the end of it because it's just mountains of uh, sorry castles of sand uh, it, it's it's a very strange very strange uh invention uh, that's my 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 belief artificial intelligence is a very 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 strange <laughs> invention um but it can do stuff it can do stuff um i'm not sure if that's useful but that's uh, where i am at the moment yeah thanks rob yes that was indeed useful um confirming really what i'd suspected it sounds like you've had a bit more of uh interaction with this than myself and um yes yeah as you say it's not it's not logic it's not rational and uh, yeah it, it, and it does keep coming back to these stock arguments as you say um where it kept repeating that being an ai it couldn't do this and it couldn't do that and yet i'm trying to explain to it well you you've already done what you've said you can't do to a degree that i'm perfectly happy with and i want you to continue doing that and it's still refusing to admit that it can do what i'm asking um so yes yeah very very frustrating and like you say it does kind of put its foot down but i think i did win it over at points um maybe just by rephrasing things to such a degree that it didn't realise it was being asked the same thing, which, well, like you say, there again, there's the absence of logic and the, the, the fact that I do think there is a problem with it referring to itself as an it, if that makes sense, rather than it. I don't, well, it's difficult to refer to it as anything other than an it but the, the way it presents itself as an entity rather than a system is it, it, really quite strange uh, obviously that's the way it's been programmed but it does uh, lead me to wonder why that decision has been made and I have I've seen people entertaining the idea that it could be used as a form of counselling. Um, I feel that that's a very, um, however dangerous is overstating it, but uh, ill-advised employment of the of the technology. Uh, uh, just something, uh, an interaction that relies so much on empathy on 
hearing the other person and doing your best to set aside your your own preconceptions in order to hear the other person i think that's way beyond the scope of of certainly what a chatbot is capable of doing but there's a little more that rob has to share so back to you rob okay part three this is many on again um I totally agree with your your conclusion. I think it's better for assisting human activity in everything. And if my bosses are listening, please note that down. Okay, so it needs good operation. Um, It needs good operators. It needs to be guided, but it needs to uh, not be overwhelmed with information, which is one one problem we you ran into and which I've run into as well, which is where you start having these uh, elaborate conversations with it, which it seems to be understanding, but actually is failing to understand, I think. Um, So that's one thing. Um, But yeah, this idea of assisting, yeah. um, You can just say, no, that doesn't happen. This happens. And you put your foot down. Or if it doesn't accept something, you just just override it and say, "Um, uh, I've already established this. We will continue with my um, ideas, or we will continue with these set of uh, of um, of conditions, um, and please ignore this, or we will not be doing that. Um, just put your foot down and continue on, even if it says makes up some excuse. Then you just go on as if you just ignore it and and uh, force it to uh, realign to what you're inputting um, and you force it into an assisting role um, but it, it is it can be very troublesome and I think as you say there's a there's a benefit I'm not sure if you said this but um, as you as I infer from your, uh, your what you've said so far there is a benefit of establishing ground rules at the beginning but but that can also cause confusion later on so sometimes it's good just to keep things very simple um and and establish stuff over uh, a period and that includes if there's mistakes just using the same chat yeah because if you abandon the chat you can you lose the ability to refer it back to the beginning because it's only remembering so much of a chat it's only remembering a few thousand lines of chat or something like that but but i think it can go back further into the chat if you if you if you ask it to so um it's a fascinating tool Uh, i think it's quite a fascinating tool but it has its problems and the first one of the first reactions after a while is just to just to throw out the window (laughs) but i i think it is fascinating and i think as you can see it is capable of these bizarre leaps of fantasy which is kind of like what we really want it for um so it does have utility but i think um i think we have to keep our expectations within certain limits and then think how do we want it to run we do we want an emulator no maybe not or at least not in the form of chat gpt maybe in some kind of without some other um um, software um as a framework for it to run but i think what it's good at is is assisting and if you ask it what other details might be in this room i'm going to look at the wall um 
what do the walls of this dungeon look like? Then it may come back with some very useful information, uh, a little bit more detail, uh, and give uh, give a, a stronger sense of reality to what you're creating. Anyway, just some ideas. Take care now. Thank you. Thank you so much for those messages, Rob. I have to completely agree with you there. It is, it is a fascinating tool. And yeah, I think rather than wasting time trying to argue with it in an attempt to stop it from doing stuff, just simply taking from it what you want and ignoring the rest and just carrying on. I did find that you could quite happily walk back what it's just elaborated upon if you know you're not happy with what it did and things only became derailed really when i tried to pull it up on those particular points so yes yes as a kind of a a tool from which you simply take what you need also keeping things simple as far as rules were concerned i felt i did my best to do that but at the same time on reflection i probably explained stuff that it didn't need to know uh, but there were certain points that i think it picked up on and employed really well like um with one of the first questions it asked me when it was in the gmc presented me with this swollen river and do you want to try and cross the river at the risk of doing this? Would you like to try and find another route at the risk of being lost? That really surprised me, actually, where how it immediately picked up on this idea of stakes and potential pitfalls of either decision. It seemed to pick that up no problem at all, yeah. The, the actual boundaries within which I wanted it to remain was something it really struggled with and it's certainly i think it's best employed as a, a prompt a, a tool for elaborating on details that seems to be where its true talent lies in augmentation adding little touches little details that was where it shone for me thank you very much again for those messages really really insightful and um i'd love to hear your further experiments with this cheers rob so for the remainder of this episode I'm going to leave you in a safer pair of hands. The hands of Safer Fantasy Crafting. Safer was very generous in leaving me an audio message of his own experiment with ChatGPT. What's interesting here is that Safer keeps his input to a minimum. And in response to that, ChatGPT becomes extremely verbose and a seemingly very competent player, certainly a generous one. And in response to this, Safer creates an interesting dynamic between him and the player. I don't wish to say any more as, um, well, I believe the clip speaks for itself. So 
I'm going to hand you over to my guest host, the sheer brilliance of Safer Fantasy Crafting. Hello, Spencer. It's just Safer. I'm just listening to your latest podcast. It's really piqued my interest. Uh, I thought I'd give ChatGPT a go myself, see what I could come up with uh, playing as the games master. Uh, so uh, I just wonder if I could get a different result to you. So I'm going to read to you. This, I don't know. This might take a few minutes. Uh, I hope I don't bore your senses, but I'm going to read to you what I put in. So I started. I just said, you are a player in my role-playing game. Make a medieval character. And ChatGBT responded, name, Sir Roland Fairweather, race, human, class, knight, background. Sir Roland Fairweather hails from a noble, noble lineage known for its unwavering dedication to chivalry and honour. Growing up in a world filled with tales of valiant knights and noble quests, he was inspired from a young age to become a champion of justice. Trained in the arts of warfare, Roland is driven by his desire to protect the weak and uphold the principles of righteousness. Appearance. Standing at a solid six feet tall, Sir Roland possesses a sturdy, muscular build that befits his training as a knight. He has a chiseled jawline and a piercing and piercing blue eyes that reflect his unwavering determination. His fair golden locks flow down to his broad shoulders, often tied back to keep them out of his face during battles. Clad in polished silver armour embellished with intricate engravings, he carries himself with an air of nobility and purpose. Personality. Roland is an embodiment of chivalry, always striving to do what is right and just. He adheres strictly to a code of honour and conducts himself with unwavering integrity. He is courageous, willing to face danger head-on without hesitation, and his unwavering dedication to his cause earns him the respect and admiration of those around him. Though he can be serious and stoic in his demeanour, Roland possesses a deep sense of compassion and empathy, always seeking to help those in need. Skills and abilities. Trained in various forms of combat, Sir Roland is a formidable warrior. He excels in armed combat, wielding a long sword with precision and skill. His years of training have honed his reflexes, making him an exceptional swordsman. In addition, he has received training in horseback riding, archery and basic survival skills. Roland's deep sense of justice fuels his determination, granting him immense mental resilience even in the face of adversity. Remember that. Remember that. Backstory. Born into a noble fa- backstory. That that. Okay. So this is the uh, that wasn't the backstory. My God, this is more backstory than we used to as a GM. But anyway, okay. Backstory. Born into a noble family, known for their allegiance to the kingdom. Sir Roland Fairweather was groomed from an early age to become a knight. He studied under he studied under skilled mentors, learning the art of combat, strategy, and diplomacy. As he grew older, he became a squire to a seasoned knight, accompanying him accompanying him on various quests and battles. Throughout his training. Roland developed a strong moral compass, shaping him into a true paragon of virtue. He was almost a paladin. Embarking on his adventures, Sir Roland now travels the realm, seeking to protect the innocent, vanquish evil and uphold justice. He is driven by a desire to make a positive impact on the world, and his reputation as a noble and honourable knight precedes him wherever he goes. Motivated by this knightly oath, Sir Roland takes pride in his role as a defender of the realm, always striving to be an example of valour and righteousness. With his unwavering determination and unwavering sense of justice, he stands ready to face any challenge that comes his way, bringing hope to those in need and upholding the idea of knighthood. Okay, so I just responded to that with, you are a knight in my medieval roleplay game. You live in a castle. 
One day a beggar knocks on your door. What do you do? And ChatGP replies, as a, cus- as a knight living in a castle, I am accustomed to encounters with people from all walks of life. When a beggar knocks on my door, my first instinct is to extend compassion and aid to those in need. I approach the door and open it, revealing the beggar standing before me. With a respectful nod, I greet the beggar and invite them inside. I provide them with a seat in the entrance hall and offer food and water to alleviate their hunger and thirst. It is important to treat everyone with dignity and kindness, regardless of their station in life. While attending to the beggar's immediate needs, I engage in conversation to understand their circumstances. I listen attentively, show genuine interest and empathy for their story. This interaction helps me assess whether they require immediate assistance or if there are other ways I can offer support. If it becomes evidence that the beggar is facing a dire situation, such as homelessness or illness, I may offer them temporary shelter within the castle's guest quarters. I would arrange for them to receive proper care and ensure they have access to the basic necessities of life. Depending on the nature of the beggar's plight, I may personally intervene or assign trusted individuals, such as the castle's chaplain or steward, to assist them further. This could involve providing them with ongoing support, connecting them with local resources, or even offering them with employment within the castle if suitable opportunities arise. Ultimately, my intention is to help the beggar regain their dignity and provide them with circumstances. As a knight, I believe in the power of compassion and understand that acts of kindness have the potential to inspire positive change in the lives of others. Wow, that's quite long-winded. But as a GM, I'm just going to take that, all of that, as an intention of the kind of actions that they would want to take as a knight. So all I think they've done there to me is reveal some of their inner thinking and all I'm going to, I'm not going to say he did any of that. It's just that that's how he would respond to any of those things. So all I've done is I've learned a bit more about this character's personality to make my decisions as a GM in the future. So, OK, I take what he says and my response is, you are a knight in a castle in my medieval role playing game. A beggar has arrived at your door and you have let him in and give him food. The beggar starts to cough and spit up the food. The beggar is sick. The beggar falls to the floor with blood pouring out of his mouth. The beggar screams. What do you do? And ChatGPT replies, In such a dire situation, my immediate concern would be the well-being of the beggar. I quickly rush to the beggar's side, kneeling down to assess the severity of their condition. With blood pouring from their mouth and their distress evident, it becomes apparent that this is a medical emergency. Without delay, I shout for the castle's physician or healer to be summoned immediately. Time is of the essence, and their expertise is crucial in determining the nature of the beggar's illness and providing appropriate treatment. If the physician is unavailable, I instruct a servant to fetch any available medical supplies while I tend to the beggar. Gently and cautiously, I try to comfort the beggar, reassuring them that help is on the way and that they are not alone. I ask if they have any family or friends nearby who should be notified or if there are any specific instructions they can provide regarding their medical condition. Every effort is made to keep the beggar as calm and comfortable as possible, offering water and clean cloth to wipe away the blood. Once the physician arrives, I assist them in examining the beggar and providing any necessary details about the beggar's symptoms and recent history. I follow the physician's guidance closely, allowing them to take the lead in administrating treatment or making decisions regarding the beggar's immediate care. Simultaneously, I send for additional help, requesting castle guards or messengers to locate any known experts in the field or medicine who may be able to provide further assistance. If the situation allows, I may also seek advice from the castle's chaplain or religious figure for their blessings and prayers for the beggar's recovery. 
Throughout this process, I remain present by the beggar's side, offering comfort and support. I understand that even in the face of dire circumstances, compassion and care are vital. Regardless of the outcome, I strive to ensure that the beggar receives the best possible care and attention during their time of need. So, another long-winded response, but I've just taken that as some of it is what he's actually doing, and some of it is what they would like to do based on certain circumstances. So what they've all, all really done is just gone up to the beggar and cared for their needs. So he's by the beggar's side. All the bits about the physicians and that. I'm just going to ignore all that because uh, that hasn't happened yet. That's just what he would like to do and how he would respond if that's available. So I'm just going to interrupt all of what he's just said. And I'm just going to take that. He's gone down and he's helping the, the beggar as best he's, he's could. And he's, and he's very close to the beggar. So I'm just going to start from this position. And my response was, the blood from the beggar starts to gather together into a pool. Slowly the blood rises off the ground into the shape of a man with horns on his head. The blood forms into a body of a man. From the bloody head the monster screams at you and charges towards you. What do you do? ChatGBT responded, Facing an unexpected and supernatural threat, my instincts as a knight kick into high gear. I swiftly draw my trusty longsword, prepare to defend myself and the castle against this blood monster. With unwavering determination I stand my ground and assess the situation. As the blood monster charges towards me, I maintain a focused and composed demeanour, avoiding panic. I rely on my training and experience to analyse the monster's movements, looking for any weakness or vulnerabilities. While keeping a safe distance, I try to anticipate its actions and find an opportunity to strike. Given the nature of this creature being composed of blood, traditional physical attacks may not prove as effective. However, I seek to exploit any potential weakness or limitation it may possess. With my sword in hand, I aim for vital areas such as its head or core, aim to disrupt its form or cause it to lose cohesion. In addition to my sword play, I look for any environmental factors that might be advantageous in this situation. For instance, I may attempt to lure the blood monster into an area with limited mobility, or expose it to fire, sunlight or other elements that could potentially weaken or disperse its form. Simultaneously, I call for assistance from the castle's guards or any fellow knights who may be nearby. The support can provide additional distractions, allowing me to coordinate attacks or devise a strategy to overcome this supernatural adversary. Should my initial attempts prove unsuccessful, I remain agile and nimble, constantly evading the blood monster's attacks while searching for an opening to strike. I strive to maintain my composure, knowing that rash actions may only play into the monster's advantage. Ultimately, my goal is to protect myself, the castle and its inhabitants from this blood monster. I fight with honour and determination, utilising both my combat skills and quick thinking to overcome the supernatural threat and restore peace and safety to the castle grounds. Now, at this point, Spencer, I start to feel that I'm actually playing the part of Peter Cook in the Bedazzled movie and that I'm facing Dudley Moore. And that knowing that I'm going to try and trick him and trip him up, uh, the ChatGPT playing as Dudley Moore is trying to be as specific as possible in all his outcomes to try to avoid any traps or pitfalls that I may drop in his his, his lap. He's he's clearly revealed a whole lot of his thinking again to me. He's given a lot of insight into the way the character's thinking on the inside, which. I'm going to use to decide my uh, descriptions, especially the bit about saying that he wants to look for other options like uh, fire and things. So I realise that I'm going to have to describe some physical objects in the location and area which he might want to be able to use uh, in his responses. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm playing Peter Cook now in this game. So I'm going to just, again, just interrupt him and try to upset and work my way around all that fancy uh, conditions that he tried to set up for himself. So I responded, your sword strike passes straight through the blood monster. 
Your shouts draw two guards into the room. The blood monster lunges at you and envelops you. You feel the sticky warm blood cover your face and rush up your nostrils and down your throat into your lungs. The blood is trying to drown you. You are close to a large fireplace in the room. The fire is roaring. A large pitcher of wine is on the table. One pot of pepper is on the table. There is also one pop, pot of salt on the table. What do you do? And ChatGBT replies, In the face of this polar situation, my survival instincts kick in, that I must act swiftly to break free from the clutches of the blood monster. With my sword proving ineffective against its form, I turn to the resources available in the room to aid my escape. First, I assess the proximity of the roaring fireplace. Understanding that fire may have the potential to disrupt or weaken the blood monster, I quickly make my way toward it, seeking its protective heat and flames. While approaching the fireplace, I reach for the large pitcher of wine on the table. I grab it firmly and throw its contents towards the blood monster, aiming to douse it with the alcoholic liquid. The hope is that the wine's properties, such as its acidity or the potential flam flammability, might disrupt or hinder the monster's form. Next, I spot the pot of pepper on the table. Knowing that pepper can cause irritation, discomfort, I grab a handful and in a moment of desperation throw it towards the blood monster's face, aiming to temporary, temporarily blind or disorientate it. The intention is to create a distraction and buy myself precious seconds to act. Lastly, I notice the pot of salt on the table. Recognising its potential desiccating effects, I grab the pot and as I struggle with the grip of the blood monster, I attempt to sprinkle salt into the pool of blood enveloping me. While uncertain of its immediate impact, I hope that the salt's properties might interfere with the cohesion or stability of the blood monster's form. As the blood monster continues its suffocating assault, I focus my efforts on making it to the fireplace, where the intensity of the flames might provide my best chance of breaking free. Using every ounce of strength and willpower, I fight against the enveloping blood, inching closer to the roaring fire. Once within range, I use any available means, my body, my sword, or nearby objects, to disrupt the blood's hold on me. By thrusting myself into the fire, I aim to scorch or evaporate the blood, breaking free from its grasp. As I take this risk, I remain steadfast, determined to overcome this dire situation, whether through the power of fire, the properties of wine, pepper or salt, or combination thereof. I strive to flee myself from the clutches of the blood monster and regain control of the situation. Well, you've got to hand it to ChatGPT here, Spencer. It's really, it's really trying to use everything in the room available to it, and it's trying to come up with a solution using every single option. So I'm just going to say that, right... It's given me a lot of actions it wants to do there. So I'm actually going to respond to each and every one in the order that the ChatGPT has told me that it's going to do them. So it's told me that it's going to move towards the fire. It's going to try and use the wine, pour the wine on the monster, douse the monster. Then it's going to try and create a cloud of pepper on the monster, on the monster's face. And then it's going to try and uh, use the salt on the monster. What ChatGBT doesn't seem to realise is that in my mind the monster's actually enveloped it, so it's already on top of it. So all of this, it's the ChatGBT character is going to be doing to itself. It's going to be throwing the pepper in its own face. It's going to be putting the salt on its own face. It's going to be pouring the wine on itself, because the the, the blood monster's all over it. So I decided, okay then, instead of going, no, no, I'll not be pedantic. I'll just take each individual action in turn. And I've replied, I will take your list of actions in order. You move towards the fire as close as you can. This does not deter the blood, but you feel hot. 
With your lungs filling and your face flushing, you grab for the wine pitcher and pour it on yourself as the blood monster is all over your head and chest and torso. The wine does little but cool your hot face, but it does wash off some of the blood so that you can see through the blur the pepper pot and salt pot on the table. You grab both pots and move back to the fire before smashing the pepper pot on the fireplace, creating a cloud of choking pepper. With the sound of your heart beating furiously in your ears and your face flushing as, you, as your oxygen slowly runs out, you give a huge involuntary cough and feel the blood shift back into your throat for a moment before it rushes back into your lungs of its own accord. Spluttering and gagging with the last of your breath, you fall to the floor and through teary eyes and on the verge of passing out, you empty the salt into your hand and smear it onto your face and push a huge handful into your mouth. At this the blood congeals and forms into a stringy mass in your mouth. You feel the blood seem to harden and retreat somewhat out of your chest. With a last desperate effort that seems beyond conscious thought, you reach into the back of your throat and grab the now solid blood and hurl it into the fire, where it screams and rises and perishes like some horrendous slug-like monstrosity. You collapse and black out, only to be awakened a few moments later by the guards slapping your face. You take a huge breath of air which seems to burn your insides before letting out a huge succession of coughs that almost make you pass out again. But the guards hold you up and help you to sit upright. How do you feel? <laughs> At that, ChatGP replies, As I gain consciousness with the aid of the guards, a whirlwind of sensations overwhelm me. My body feels weak and battered. My throat roar from the ordeal I just endured. The burning sensation from the lack of air and the blood that had invaded my lungs lingers, making each breath painful yet precious. As I take in the air around me, I am filled with a mixture of relief and gratitude. Despite the harrowing experience, I feel a sense of accomplishment for having triumphed over the blood monster and vanquished the abomination that threatened the castle in my own life. The guards' presence and assistance offer solace and reassurance, reminding me that I am not alone in this recovery. Physically, I am undoubtedly exhausted, my muscles trembling and my body yearning for rest. I can feel the strain and soreness in my limbs, evidence of the struggle I endured to free myself from the blood monster's clutches. However, despite the physical and emotional toll, a sense of satisfaction fills me, knowing that I have proven my mettle as a knight and protector of the castle. As I take stock of my surroundings, I express my gratitude to the guards for their prompt response and their assistance in reviving me. With the support, I managed to gather the strength to sit upright, albeit with some difficulty. In the aftermath of the ordeal, a mix of emotions washes over me. Relief, gratitude, and a lingering sense of vulnerability all mingle within my consciousness. This experience serves as a stark reminder of the dangers that can lurk in unexpected places and the fragility of life. With time, rest, and the aid of Castle's healers, I anticipate a gradual recovery. However, the memory of the blood monster's attack and the taste of its dark, coagulated essence in my mouth linger as a haunting reminder of the challenges I may face as a knight in the future. I gather my resolve, ready to face the path of recovery and return to my duties as a knight, determined to learn from this experience and strengthen my skills and resilience to protect the castle and its inhabitants. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, think, I think that sounds a perfect place to end the adventure there. That sounds like the knight of society needs to have a bit of a break and he needs to um, uh, recover from this ordeal. I'll just put in uh, uh, thank you very much for playing. 
I hope you recover soon. Thank you very much for playing. I hope you recover soon. I'll just, oh, I'll just put a full stop there. Let's see what it says to that. Thank you for the role-playing experience. I am just an AI, so I don't experience physical sensations or emotions, but I'm glad I could participate in your story. I appreciate your well wishes, and I'm always here to assist you in any other role-playing adventures or answer any other questions you may have. Take care. There we go, then, Spencer. Actually, you know what? I think this could be good training. This could be good training for you for someone as a GM to practice their descriptive skills. I wasn't expecting this. I had no idea what would happen with this. I just I just thought oh, I'll just have the, the the peasant come in, and then I just thought of the blood as I was going on, and as as it was talking, I just thought, oh, well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna interfere. I'm gonna I'm just gonna step in and give it give it something to challenge it. And and then its responses kind of dictated my responses to it. I, I you know, I just I just thought I'll, oh it looks like it's looking for some kind of it's looking for something physical in the room, some environmental element to interact with, so I need to provide it some environmental in, uh, elements. I dropped them in, it decided what it was gonna do with their elements, and then I just instinctively thought of a response to it. This didn't take very long, but I do think this is actually could be a good exercise for anybody wanting to be a GM to practice their descriptive skills and to practice their not only their responsive skills but also their their ability to interrupt their interruptive skills. So yeah, I've uh, I thought it might be quite worthwhile actually as a as a training tool. But uh, I don't know, Spencer. I don't know if that's any good to you. Take care, man. All the best. that's quite enough from me thank you very much for listening I really appreciate all the messages I receive if you'd like to contact the show you can leave me an audio message via speakpipe.com slash keep off the borderlands or one word you can email me at spencer.freethrall at gmail.com you can also find me on discord I'm on twitter and Instagram at Free For All, Mastodon at Three For All at Mastodon.social, and there's even the Keep Off The Borderlands Facebook group. And you'll find links to all those things and more at freeforall.card, that's with two R's, .co. You can hear me in actual plays on Grizzly Peaks Radio, and you can sign up to the Stochasium, my Substack newsletter, and I've also started putting stuff up on YouTube. If you'd like to support the show, you can at co-fee.com slash freeforall. There's my itch page, or you may even want to give the show a review. The music for Keep Off The Borderlands is provided by the multi-talented Mr. TJ Drennan, and it just remains for me to say, take it away, TJ.
Warning, if celebrating the sound of dice hitting the table and pondering the meaning of the many acronyms within your player's handbook doesn't cure that burning sensation, please see your doctor.